podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Friday, the 19th of May. Hope you're all well. We had a busy night last night. For those of you that were paying attention, in the Premier League, Newcastle 4, Brighton and Hove Albion 1. That's a very, very strange run of three games for Brighton. Walloped at home by Everton go to the Emirates and play Arsenal off the pitch and beat them 3-0, and then go and get walloped by Newcastle. Now, 4-1, 
4-1 actually, to be fair, did reflect the game. It's just that two of the goals came very, very late. So Dennis Undav scored an own goal on 22 minutes for some reason deciding to jump and flick a header on at the front post from a Kieran Trippier corner. If he just left it alone, Moises Caicedo has it clear behind him. Dan Byrne makes it two just on the stroke of half time. Somehow you, uh, Brighton decided to mark six foot seven Dan Byrne with fellas who are about five foot eight, but Byrne made it two. And then in on 51 minutes, Dennis Undav pulls one back for Brighton. Billy Gilmore plays a nice ball that splits the defense and it's two one. And you start to think, well, maybe Brighton will find the way back into this. But Newcastle had been by far the more dangerous team to that point anyway. Brighton had most of the ball, but Newcastle just did what Everton did. And they countered them. And they used their pace and they used their strength and they used the powerful runners from midfield. So when Callum Wilson makes it three on 89 minutes, you start to feel like that's what Newcastle actually deserved, is like a a two-goal lead. Bruno Gomerich makes it four on 91 minutes after great work by Wilson. But it was really naive again from Brighton, similar to the game against Everton. And there was also the fact that this wasn't a full-strength Brighton team, missing a number of players through injuries and suspensions and rest and whatever else, but also just decisions that the manager made. Um, Starting Van Heck, I think he didn't really have a choice other than starting him. But Billy Gilmore starting, not for me. Dennis Undav starting, not for me. Welbeck starting, never, ever, ever for me. And frankly, that was the run doing. But three huge points for Newcastle. Three points that put them right on the brink of confirming a place in the Champions League for next season. One more win from their remaining two games, home to Leicester and away to away to Chelsea, will confirm them in the top four. And that's an incredible achievement for them this early in their project. Um, Brighton, their sixth, 58 points. A win over Southampton will get them to 61. And given the fixtures of Tottenham and Villa, that's probably going to be enough to secure Europa League football for them. At the very least, Conference League, but most likely Europa League and a sixth place finish. Um, They have Southampton, then City at home, a game that City might not care much about, and then Villa away on the final day. So Brighton are still looking like a really good bet for Europe, despite two really poor results in their last three games. But that middle one was key. And I, I wonder if they'd lost to Arsenal, would last night have been the game that they'd target to win? It's very possible that it would. Um, we had Europa League action last night. Bayer Leverkusen nil, Roma nil. Uh, Jose Mourinho masterclass of how to shithouse your way through an away game in Europe. 28% possession, one shot, none on target. Leverkusen had 23 shots, Roma had one. 
But Roma go through 1-0 in aggregate and Mourinho is into yet another European final, chasing yet another European trophy. And he's never lost the European final. This man is the master of one-off games. European Cup and UEFA Cup with Porto. European Cup with Inter. UEFA Cup with Manchester United. Conference League last season with Roma. Potentially this year adding a another Europa League. Like That is a phenomenal record. Absolutely phenomenal. One of the all-time greats. And bringing great joy to the people of Rome, or at least the Roma fan side. Not so much the Lazio fans. Uh, in the other one, the other semi-final, Sevilla 2, Juventus 1. Sevilla through to yet another Europa League final. So Dusan Vlahovic had put Juve 1 up on 65 minutes. Suso equalized on 71 minutes. Into extra time we went. Eric Lamella broke the deadlock to put Sevilla 2-1 up. And even with Marcus Acuna getting sent off in 115 minutes, it mattered not. Sevilla are through. Now Acuna will miss the final and that's a big blow. But that is a really interesting final. Because you've got a manager who's never lost a European final. And is, like I say, the very best around at winning European finals. Like, there's just nothing that phases him. He always has the right game plan. He knows how to how to disrupt and bother teams. And then you've got Sevilla in their seventh Europa League final. And they've won all six of the previous entries. 06, 06 and 07. 14, 15, and 16, and then obviously 2020 under Lopetegui. I don't know who to pick here. I feel like Mourinho is the one to back here. But Sevilla have this voodoo in this competition. Like They've won it six times. No one else has won it more than three. Now, in part because the other clubs behind them tend to be in the Champions League every year, Inter, Liverpool, Juventus and Atletico Madrid. They've all won it three times. But, you know, Inter haven't won it since 98. They won it in 91, 94, 98, before the big expansion of the Champions League. Juventus, 97, sorry, 77, 77, 90 and 93. Again, before the Champions League expansion. And then Liverpool, 73, 76 and 01. Now, Liverpool have been to four finals. They lost it in 2016 to Sevilla. Inter have been to two finals and lost that they've lost. Um, 97 and 2020. 97, they lose to Schalke. 2020, they lose to Sevilla. And Juve lost the final in 95 to that really fun Parma team. But Sevilla and Atleti, to be fair, perfect in Champions League in, in Europa League finals. I think that ends this year. I think I'm going to pick Mourinho and Roma 
to go back to back in Europe and win the next step up, which if he stays, you know, throw your money on him to win the Champions League next year because you just never know. He might go to PSG and win it there. What an achievement that would be if he could win all three European trophies in consecutive seasons. Now, I think he would obviously have to change clubs because Roma aren't winning the Champions League. But if he went to PSG, he could definitely manage it. And if he did that, I think he might just retire on the spot. Uh, In the Conference League, the final is also set. Azel Alkmaar, nil. West Ham United, one. West Ham rode their luck at times in this game. They had some decent opportunities, but they could very easily have conceded two penalties. One for a Kurt Zuma handball, and one for what looked like a pretty clear foul by Neyaf Agard. But neither were given. West Ham held out, and then Pablo Fornals on a breakaway gives them the only goal of the game and sends them through. So West Ham through to their first European final in, I think, like 47 years or something like that. Uh, And they will face Fiorentina. So we have Italian clubs in all three European finals. Uh, They went into that game last night 2-1 down from the first leg. But Nico Gonzalez scored on 35. Amdoni equalised to put Basel back in front on aggregate on 55. Gonzalez scored again on 72 to send it to extra time. And just when we thought we were about to get penalties, Antonin Borak with the only goal of the game, and it was fully deserved. Fiorentina were outstanding last night. Really good performance, really good win. And I'm really looking forward to this final. I think this has the potential to be the best of the three finals. And I think I back Fiorentina, to be honest. Now, West Ham have the better individuals, but... Fiorentina have some really good players. And, you know, when you look at the seasons that both sides have had, Fiorentina have definitely had the far better season. They're eighth in Serie A and performing really well over the last while. Uh, They had a bad start to the season. But since mid-February, they've been really good. Uh, They're also in the final of the Coppa Italia. That's played on the 24th of May. They take on Inter. Will be very interesting to see how seriously Inter take that game. Will they rest players ahead of the Champions League final? I mean, Fiorentina might well rest players as well ahead of this final on the 7th of June. But I am looking forward to this one. As a couple of Fiorentina players in particular that I think will cause West Ham a lot of trouble. Dodo, the right back, really good player. Milinkovic, really good player. Lucas Martinez, quarter, really good player and probably would have moved on before now if not for some questionable things that took place in his past. He had a drugs ban at one point when he was at River Plate. And I think that tarnished him for a lot of people, but he's a really good centre-back. You look at that Fiorentina team that played last night, and like there's a lot of talent in the group. You've got Dodo Milinkovic, Igor, another good centre-back. Um, 
Amrabat in midfield, Castrovilli in midfield, Bonaventura in midfield. They're all good players. Gonzalez, Cabral and Bracalo up front. It's a nice balance. Like Luka Jovic is another option that they've got. They can bring him off the bench. Jonathan Oconee they can bring off the bench. Mandragora they can bring off the bench. I think they might be deeper than West Ham in terms of talent. I mean, Alfred Duncan could have come off the bench last night. Christian Kwame. These are good players. Ricardo Sabonara. There's a lot of good players in that Fiorentina squad. And they just seem to play really well together. And the goalkeeper, I have to say, he's he's looked pretty good this season. Um, Terracciano. I thought they were mental when they let Dragowski go, having already sold Alban Lafont. But they decided to go a different direction. And thus far, it's worked for them. Now, obviously, long-term is different. But thus far, I think they'll be very, very happy with, with the decisions made. That's a good team. And I think they'll have a little bit too much for West Ham. Amrabat versus Rice in midfield is going to be massive. Absolutely massive. Looking forward to this one. Really am looking forward to it. We also had the second leg of one of the League One playoffs last night. Now, in the first leg of this game, Peterborough beat Sheffield Wednesday 4-0. And I said, that's that one over. Well, after 90 minutes last night, it was 4-0 to Sheffield Wednesday. And we were heading for extra time. Michael Smith scored a penalty on nine minutes. Lee Gregory scored on 25. Reese James, not that one, scored on 71. And then right at the death, 98th minute, Liam Palmer scores to send it to extra time. Lee Gregory scores an own goal to put Peterborough 5-4 up on aggregate but Callum Peterson's Callum Patterson scores on 112 minutes and it goes to penalties absolute manic scenes at Hillsborough last night into penalties Smith scores Clark Harris scores Volk scores Butler misses Bannon scores Norborn scores Windass scores Chamanga scores and then Jack Hunt with the pressure penalty, buries in the top corner. What an incredible comeback for Sheffield Wednesday. They looked dead and buried after the first leg. I do wonder if you're Peter, but do you have to have a conversation about the manager now? I know he got you to the playoffs, but you snuck in on the final day. Like you finished sixth. It's not like you finished way up the table. It's not like you were outstanding during the year. I think you might have to have a conversation with the manager. Uh, today, 8pm tonight, Barnsley versus Bolton in the other one. 1-1 one, one from the first leg. And then the winners will face off on Monday, the 29th of May in the playoff final. Uh, League 2 playoffs also taking place, obviously, at the moment. Um, tomorrow at 12.30, it's Stockport versus Salford. Salford won up from the first leg, but Stockport at home will fancy their chances. And then Carlisle against Bradford is at 3 p.m. And that one 
is Bradford leading 1-0, but Carlisle at home, so they'll fancy their chances. They, The winners of those will meet in the playoff final on the 28th of May in a 1.30 kickoff. The championship playoff final is the 27th of May, so Saturday week. Saturday week, Sunday week, Monday week, they're the playoff finals, and they're going to be fun. I'm looking forward to all of them. The playoffs might be the best thing in English football. It really might. Uh, right, moving on. The shortlist for the Premier League Player of the Year has been released. And I'm, I, I just, I don't understand. I really don't understand. Erling Haaland, no problem. Absolutely obvious. He's going to win it. He shouldn't. But because simpletons will vote based on, oh, he scored 500 goals. Yeah, fair enough. Grant. Okay, give it to him. Uh, KDB, yeah, I mean, not not necessarily his best season, but certainly no issue with him being nominated. Odegaard and Saka, absolutely deserving. Tremendous, tremendous seasons from both of them. Um, Marcus Rashford, overall, I think, fair enough. But... He did have a couple of long stretches this season where he was really poor, including the current stretch that he's on now. I don't have any issue with Harry Kane getting nominated. I think he's been really good for Spurs. I do have a serious issue with Kieran Trippier. I really do have an issue with Kieran Trippier being nominated. Not even the a top three player for his own club this season. Gamerish levels and levels better. Botman levels and levels better. And Callum Wilson has been better as well. I really don't understand Kieran Trippier getting nominated. He's had a good season. He'd be in my team of the year. But he hasn't been Newcastle's best player, let alone one of the best players in the league. Well, he has. He's been one of the best right-backs in the league. But overall, no, he does not deserve to be on that list. Um, Young player of the season. The nominations are also up. Bikai Osaka, Martin Odegaard and Gabriel Martinelli. I'm really not sure how Odegaard is eligible, given he's 24 years of age. Alexis McAllister, don't know how he's eligible nor Sven Botman or Alexander Isak isn't Botman 23 he is Isak is I think a similar age also 23 like this should be 21 and under no issue with Saka no issue with Martinelli no issue with Moises Caicedo um, who I would be inclined to give the award to but what a nonsense to have 24-year-olds up for Young Player of the Year. Um, the Manager of the Year shortlist has been put together. Mikel Arteta, Pep Guardiola, Eddie Howe, Marco Silva, Unai Emery and Roberto De Zerbi. I don't think there's any real room for complaint on that list. I think that's a pretty good list. I would say I would have been inclined to include Gary O'Neill because I do, do just think the job he's done at Bournemouth warrants it. Like, that's 
that was a very, very poor team that he took over, a team that wasn't good enough to be in the Premier League. And he has them comfortable, comfortable. Um, I saw United fans crying that Eric Ten Hag wasn't up. He There was no way he was getting nominated. Certainly didn't deserve it because not everybody is foolish enough to fall into the trap of believing that he's working miracles and it's all the Glazers' fault when things go wrong. There was an incident last night in the West Ham uh, Azel Alkmaar game after the game where Alkmaar's fans, or at least a, a portion of them, kind of were targeting West Ham's friends and family with, with threats and with, you know, comments and whatever. West Ham's players, to their credit, went over and confronted them and, and looked more than happy to go if, if it was needed to go, but Obviously, it got calmed down in the end, but yeah, Alkmaar fans have, have let themselves down there. Uh, Phil Jones to leave Manchester United after a difficult few years. I'd imagine it's been a very, very difficult few years. Uh, Phil Jones should have been far more than he ever became. When he came through at Blackburn, he looked like he was going to be captain of England, captain of one of the top clubs in the country. I maintain that if he joined Liverpool instead of United in 2011 and being developed as a central defender, which is what Liverpool would have done, I do think he would have gone on to have a much better career. Um, the decisions to play him at right back. Ferguson, I think, bought him to play right back, initially anyway, to replace Neville at right back. But he used him in midfield a lot as well. And frankly, it just, it wasn't the right move for him. He wasn't ready for a club like that either. United needed players to come in and be ready to start. But he wasn't ready, not for their level. And he's had just so many injuries. So, so many injuries over the years. It's such a shame because I think he could have been a tremendous player. Yeah. I, I think he could have been really, really good. But wasn't to be. So, you know, you live and you learn. Shame for Phil, Phil, uh, for Phil Jones. You only get one career. Uh, his name will be written in West Ham history forever. That's a piece about Pablo Fornals and his goal last night. Tony Future is with Brentford despite ban, says Thomas Frank. Well, he'll be there till next summer at the, uh, at least. We, we can say that for certain. Hope Powell has joined uh, England's men's under 20 set up for the World Cup. I think that's really good. I think, she, I, th- I think she can be of huge benefit. There's a good piece here about how Julian Lopetegui has turned Wolves around. There's a piece about Bobby Firmino. There's a good piece about Everton and the latest on their investment that I think is worth is worth a read. And then there's two pieces here that I want to highlight. One is about Gary Lineker and his time in the J-League, so check that one out. And then there's a piece by Alex Bysouth about AC Milan and Inter Milan and the rivalry. Uh, so do check that one out there as well. We'll do the gossip and then we'll go to break and come back with Guy 
Manchester United and Newcastle have emerged as the likeliest candidates to sign Sadio Mane. Okay. Chelsea, Manchester United, Tottenham and Fulham are among clubs interested in signing Gents. 20-year-old Nigerian forward Gift Orban. He's a hell of a talent. A really, really exciting talent. Manchester United are finalising their summer transfer plans. Adrian Rabio is back on the shortlist along with Kim Min-Jae. Uh, United have no idea if they're going to have any money to spend this summer, so I wouldn't say they're finalising much of anything at the moment. Paris Saint-Germain are also targeting a move for Kim Min-Jae, with the French champions having met the player's agent. Um, yeah, I could see him working well there next to Marquinhos. I could. I could see that working quite well. As well as Brighton's World Cup winning midfielder, Alexis McAllister, Liverpool are monitoring Ryan Gravenberch and Mason Mount. This is not news. This is just regurgitation. Liverpool are also admirers admirers of Ergen Koku of Feyenoord as an alternative to Alexis McAllister and Jude Bellingham. Um, it's Jack Tal- Talbot, so most likely to be drivel. But I don't think he'd be an alternative to McAllister. I think he's an alternative to Mount. Uh, Manchester City are interested in signing Josco Gvardiol. I don't think they are. And the reason I don't think they are is because Nathan Aki's been outstanding this season and I think Guardiola will reward him with giving him a bit more safety for his future moving forward. William Saliba will enter the final year of his contract this summer and the 22-year-old is yet to agree a new deal with the Gunners. They want to get that sorted fairly quickly because if they allow that to run into next season, why would he sign the deal? Why wouldn't he just wait and see what happens when he becomes... You know, he gets to January and other clubs from around Europe can start making him offers. Because I guarantee there's a club in Madrid who wear white, along with probably every other club in Europe, including Barcelona, who if he's on a free, they will offer him huge amounts of money. Because if they can save 70 or 80 million on a transfer fee, they'll give him enormous wages, far more than Arsenal would be willing to give him. Manchester United want to reward Lissandra Martinez with a new deal. Oh, good stuff. Uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is wanted by AC Milan. Okay. Tottenham have opened talks over appointing Feyenoord boss Arnie Slot as their new manager. He would be a good appointment. Uh, Ecuador midfielder Kendry Paez has reportedly signed for Chelsea. Um, This is not news. This has been going around for ages. Brentford are set to open contract talks with Ivan Toney. Interesting. The Bees, meanwhile, mean to want to sign Victor Giorcarez to cover in Tony's absence. I mean, if Coventry come up, there's no way they're selling. Wolves manager Julian Lopetegui says he hopes the club can solve financial fair play issues, which could limit his transfer budget in the summer. Real Madrid's comprehensive defeat by Manchester City in the Champions League semi-final could accelerate the exit of Carlo Ancelotti. Um, seems unlikely. Seems like uh, he's very much going to stay. Uh, Russell Martin to Southampton. That's just every day someone's reporting that. Brighton's 21-year-old winger Simon Adingra is wanted by clubs in Germany and France following a successful loan in Belgium with Union Saint-Gilles. I'd imagine he's wanted by Brighton given that they're the club that bought him and own him and want to use him. 
Sunderland are in advance talks to sign Joe Bellingham, the younger brother of Jude. I think three million is the fee being touted. Former Wales forward Steve Morrison is under serious consideration to return as Cardiff City manager eight months after being sacked by the club. Cardiff City are morphing into, you know, another Watford. Um, Really, really not sure what their plan seems to be. But, you know, they sacked Sabri Lamoche um, the other day. He'd only been there since January. They'd sacked Morrison in September. Then they brought in Mark Hudson. He was manager until January. He got three months, two months, some of which was the World Cup. Um, and then he got binned. And then they brought in Sabri. And now, to be fair, it didn't go great, but he took over a mess. And at the end of the day, he still kept them up. Now, big helping hand there from Reading getting the six-point deduction, which is what took them down. But still, kept them up. What more do you want? Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, Guy is going to come on. We're going to run through this weekend's Premier League fixtures. So we'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So we're joined by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? Um, oh, it looks like it's going to rain. I'm going to have to walk the dog after this, Dave, since... Mixed feelings, but football's uh, good again. Just put them out in the garden, it'll be all right for a while. Uh, football is is back. We have 10 games this weekend. We're going to fly through them and get these done so that dog can get a walk before the rain. So let's jump in. Uh, so first up, we have the half 12 kickoff, which is on TV as usual, and it's Spurs v Brentford for some reason. I don't know why. I, I suppose they really care about Spurs' Europa League hopes, but. Um, Obviously, Brentford without Tony for the foreseeable as well. Maybe it's a nice chance to let people like is it Kevin Sharder, um and have a run in the team. But other than that, I'm not sure why this is on telly. I can only assume it is to you know to give everybody a good eye on on Spurs in their in their mighty pursuit for sixth. Um, Ryan Sessegnon is out, Hugo Lloris is out, Eric Dyer is out, Yafit Tanganga is out, and Rodrigo Bentoncourt is out. So Spurs are missing a few players. Brighton, no Tony, obviously suspended till January, no Pontus Janssen, no Lewis Potter, no Norgard, and no Strakosha, and likely not having any of them for... Uh, oh, actually, sorry, I'm wrong. Strakosha is back. He is back. The rest of them are out probably for the rest of the season. Going into the game, Spurs have lost three of their last five, whereas Brentford have won three of their last five. Spurs are not a team I trust at the moment, but Brentford without Ivan Tony is a is a tough one. But they have done fairly well in the, the few games he's missed this season. They've got good movement. They've got good pace. They've got Shade and Bomo and Damsgaard could be their front three. They might just play a front two and go five three two. 
I think they'll make it tough for Spurs, but I do think Spurs will win out. I'll go I'll go three two to Spurs. I think it'll be a fun game. And Bradford can st- technically still get a uh, conference league spot, so if they win that, it could be interesting last day um, for them. But we'll move on, and there's a few important games. Important games here for the top four race. And first off, we have Bournemouth against Man United, Dave. Um, I mean, Bournemouth have overperformed massively, staying up, and the fact they're 14th as well. Um, and Man United, obviously, they just need to win and they're basically in the top four um but their away form is pretty minging for this season um and obviously rashford has an illness so he's definitely playing <laughs> um but if man united lose this game the last day is going to be massive in terms of them in liverpool yeah it is like they've obviously got that midweek game against chelsea as yes, well and if they lose here there's a lot of pressure on them because they'd likely need to win their last two in fact, even a draw here means they'll have to win their last two. They need six points from their three games. No Martinez, no Van de Beek, no Sabitzer, no Greenwood, no McTom- oh, McTominay's a doubt, Rashford's a doubt, Heaton's out and Jones is out. It's a lot of important players for them. Uh, for Bournemouth... No Semenyo, he's done for the season. Hamid Traore, they're hoping he'll be back next week, but not this week. Tavernier, next week, not this week. Fredericks and Stanislas, both out. Um, do you know what? I think Bournemouth are going to pull an upset here. I do. I'm going to back Bournemouth to win. I'm going to say 2-1 to Bournemouth. Last home game of the season for them. I think they'll pull a shock off here. I know they've had a couple of poor performances recently against West Ham, against Chelsea, but, you know, they battered Leeds. They beat Liverpool. They beat Fulham at home. I'm going to back Bournemouth to get a win here. I'll go 2-1 to Bournemouth. I hope that's correct. Um, Moving on, we have Fulham against Palace. I mean... I like this last chapter of Roy Hodgson's career where he's decided to be the most entertaining manager in the league. Um, and Fulham are also capable of being a very fun team. So unless Roy reverts back to type, I, I think this could be a fun game. Obviously, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but considering where Palace were uh, before Roy came in, to finish potentially 11th above Chelsea, which probably favourites to do, let's be honest, I mean, it's a hell of a turnaround, even though we may disagree with the Vieira sacking, but it certainly worked. Oh, it has worked, absolutely. And you're you're right, like, it is a massive turnaround. And it's huge credit to Roy. You know, and with two games left, I think anything that they can get from here is a bonus. 43 points, right in that Hodgson wheelhouse. 43 to 45 points every year. You know, 12th to 13th every year. They're currently 12th. Roy is thrilled with how this has worked out. He didn't even need to manage most of the season and the algorithm still spat out a Roy (laughs) Hodgson season. You know, less goals scored than conceded, but but not drastically. So a single-figure negative goal differential. 
this is the perfect Roy Hodgson season. If they get a plus nine goal difference in these last two games, he's a he's achieved his dream of zero goals. Of zero goals. The dream for Roy, without question, is a zero goal difference across 38 games, 38 points, no wins, all draws. He'd be thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. Um, Fulham, Mitrovic is back. They looked pretty good last week. They've won back-to-back games. No Pereira, no Ream. The hoping Dan James might be back. Kurzawa is probably done for the season. Uh, Palace, no Ferguson, no Schlupp, no Tompkins, no Milivojevic. Mo, no Wilf Zaha, which is the worry. I, I think this one might stink of a draw. I'll go 1-1. Yeah, I think Roy said in his uh, presser as well it might, that Zaha may have played his last game for Palace as well, which is a shame because he's probably the most associated player with Palace in the last decade or so. Well, it certainly is, let's be honest. Um, but that'd be a shame if so. Um, but probably something to talk about when the season finishes. Uh, moving on then, we have another game in t- including the top four race. And the Europa race, I should say, um, is Liverpool against Villa, Dave. Um, Villa have been strange. I mean, I think every week we talk about them being burnt out a bit and obviously two losses on the spin before last weekend. But, Dave, Tottenham really aren't canon, so how do we judge this Villa team? And Liverpool just need to win for any chance of top four. Yeah, yeah, Liverpool need to win. It's as simple as that. Liverpool don't have any choice here. They have to win. Uh, fail to win and top four is over and done with for them. Um, no Alcantara, no Ramsey, no Besetic, probably no Keita, uh, no oh, Firmino. They're hoping to make the bench, and Darwin maybe makes the bench as well. Um, for Villa, no Coutinho, no Steer. Callum Chambers might be back, but no one cares. I, I'm going to have to go for a Liverpool win here because it's desperate times and that calls for desperate measures. We'll go with a 3-1 Liverpool win. We'll go 3-1. Yeah, these games are usually uh, can be a bit mad as well. Um, I don't want to relive some painful games, but uh, yeah, they can be fun at times. One that isn't fun though, Dave, is Wolves against Everton in the... Um... Predictable nil nil or one one or one nil win to Wolves. Um, unless Everton do another Brighton game, but I can't see that happening two times in a row or nearly in a row. But uh, this one doesn't spring. I will watch this at three o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, am I wrong to think this is going to be one of the more boring games? Of the season, it just it has that that stench, doesn't it? It does, but it's probably the one of the most important as well. I think it's the most important game of the weekend, mm. to be honest, or certainly one of them. Um, I mean, you've got a Wolves team that have scored thirty goals this season, and an Everton team that have scored thirty-two goals this season. So these teams don't like scoring goals. You've got an Everton team that they got a great win against Brighton but that's literally all they're hanging their hat on right now. If not for that win, I think we'd be saying goodbye to them at the end of this weekend, frankly. Wolves at home, it's been a very up and down season, but Lopetegui 
has improved them at home at least. They beat Villa at home last time. They've beaten Palace, Brentford, Chelsea. They've been pretty good at home. Uh, they're 10th in the form table, just for context. Yeah, so like they're clearly the better team right now. Injury-wise, they have a few issues, but nothing major. Chiquinho, uh, Kalasic, and Bubakar Traore, all players that have been missing for, for a good while. Whereas with Everton, it's just one hit after another. No Coleman, no Townsend, no Davies, no Cody, no Michaelenko, Calvert-Lewin's a doubt, no Venegra, and no Ben Godfrey. That's a lot of players to be missing when you don't have a whole lot of good players. I'm going to go for the Wolves win. I'm going to go 1-0 to the home side. Yeah, yeah. I can't see it being the most fun, but it could be very dramatic. Um, Moving on, then we have Forrest against Arsenal. It's hard. I mean, Arsenal probably feels somewhat defeated, but at the same time, that might relieve the pressure a bit because you're playing without anything on the line, really. Let's be honest, they're not going to win the league if they're... Because they beat Forest, it's because Man City's got points at this stage. So this might turn into a fun game and Forest ooh, one point away from definite safety, but they're probably already safe, let's be honest, unless Everton and Leeds can do um relegation madness stuff. But I it's weird because you don't know how a judge an Arsenal team that's basically lost the league. Could Forest just use this as a chance to pick up a, a shock win or a draw? And then there's the magical, I assume, last home game of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, Forest's last sure home game. And yeah. their home form is what's keeping them in the division. Now, they still have a bunch of injuries. Biancone, Henderson, Chris Woods, Nico Williams, Omar Richards, Scott McKenna, Jack Colback, John Joe Shelby, all out. And probably none of them playing again this season. Emmanuel Dennis is back, though, so that's a plus. And Gustavo Scarpa, they're hopeful he might be back either this week or next week. Um, Arsenal, it's just what kind of mentality they come in with. They're missing a number of players. Martinelli, Zinchenko, Saliba, Tomiyasu. Ooh, that's a lot. That's a lot when you don't have a big squad. They're also missing El Nenny, but he wouldn't play anyway. Um, at the same time, he could play, and then Jacker could play left back or something. So, you know, not, like, that's the on, thing. Yeah. Um, I think there was a moment in that Brighton game where Arsenal just gave up and quit after the second goal went in. Their heads just dropped completely, and. Like, they've chased and chased and chased this Premier League title. And it was in their own hands. They had a five-point lead. They had an eight-point lead with a game in hand, which is a five-point lead. But as I pointed out at that time, one of the games was against City. But had they won out, they would have won the league. So the title was in their own hands. Even with a loss to City, they could have won the rest and they still would have won the league. So they have let it slip. And now it's gone. And Arteta can say whatever he wants in his press conferences. Oh, we won't bottle this. You already did, buddy. Like, it's already bottled and shipped. It's over. You haven't pushed City till the final day. City are going to wrap the league up this weekend. 
with two games left for them. I think Forrest will get a draw here. I'm going to go for a 2-2. I don't think Arsenal will enjoy the physicality of this Forest team, especially when it comes to long throws, free kicks into the box, and long balls up to a one e who's an absolute monster. I think a one e against Keywar could be mm. vital to this game. If a one e bullies him, I don't think Arsenal are going to be able to keep them out. So I'll go 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, the one he's probably finally settled into a Forest shirt as well after getting over some injuries yes. and stuff. So he's been a big part of them staying up. Um, so that could be interesting. Uh, that is the half hour kickoff for people. Uh, moving on to Sunday, then we have West Ham against Leeds, almost similarly to the Wolves Everton game. This is huge in the relegation um, avoidance race. Dave, um, West Ham, obviously, the, I'm not sure when the Conference League final is, but I'm, I'm guessing it's not next week. But they'll want to rest people ahead of that, but they'll also want to keep people in rhythm. So it might be a bit of a change team, but obviously I'm sure you remember when Liverpool had like a four-week break to the Champions League final and it was awful. So keeping players in Riven is probably all West Ham I've left to do, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be very surprised if West Ham don't rest a lot of players because they're, they're safe in the league, like 37 points, barring a mental situation where they heavily lose both games and Leeds heavily win both games. Leeds can't catch them. Now, obviously, this game between them factors in, but there's an 11-goal difference in the column. Ah, Big Sam can do that in one game. <laughs> that's, that's about a season <laughs> worth of Big Sam. So... I'm going to pick Leeds to win the game because I think West Ham will will rest pretty much everybody. Now, they're only missing Schumacher. Um, he says he's hopeful that he'll be back for the final, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Leeds missing Dallas, Sinistera, Adams, Junior Firpo, and that's it. They're hopeful that Liam Cooper and Mark Roca will be back. Um, I think Roca would help. Uh, Cooper now might not. I'm going to pick Leeds to win because I think West Ham are just going to be all eyes on that final. And mm. I would be stunned if Moyes doesn't rest three or four key starters. So we'll go with Leeds to win 2-1. Yeah, I could certainly see Leeds getting a point at the minimum, unless they just really bottle it. Um, but there were a few key injuries in there, so it could be an interesting game still. Uh, moving on, we have Brighton against Southampton. Dave, Brighton were kind of awful last night. Um, and last time they were awful, they bounced, bounced back really well. So unless Southampton just feels zero pressure now that they're down, I feel like Brighton may tonk them, because well, playing the grown-ups that were on the bench last night might help as well for Brighton. Yeah, I mean, that, that that would definitely be... I say grown-ups, I mean, two of them went 18 and 19. <laughs> but, yeah, but but I know what you mean, like yeah, the real first-choice players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, they've got a bunch of injuries. Mm. Uh, no March, no Lalana, no Webster, probably all done for the season. No Motor, who seems to have had a big setback in his injury recovery. 
no Sarmiento, no Lamptey and no Sanchez. And Robert Sanchez is leaving the club in the summer one way or another because uh, him and De Zerbi have had a falling out and Sanchez's idea is way above his station. But that's a lot of players missing. But they're hopeful that Levi Colwell and Joel Veltman will be back, which would help because it would mean Caicedo can go back into midfield. Um, Southampton, no Perot, no Bella Kotchup, no Livermento, no Che Adams, no Salisu, and no Larius. I, I just don't see any chance for Southampton. They're done. They're relegated. I think Brighton beat them comfortably. I'm going to go 4-0 to Brighton. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, Man City against Chelsea. I mean, Pep Guardiola v Frank Lampard basically sums this game up. Yeah, I mean, look, City City could be champions before they take the field. I mean, look, if Arsenal don't win, City are basically champions before taking the field because they've got the plus 20 goal difference. So if Arsenal draw... City would only need one point to be confirmed champions, but in truth, they could actually afford to lose their last three games and still be champions because Arsenal are not going to score 21 goals or, you know, whatever in, in their final game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, City are wrapping up the title this week. Chelsea are they're a horror show, an absolute horror show. And I don't expect them to get anything from this game. Where we're looking for them to get something is Thursday night. So, Frank, if you're listening, rest your players and get them good and healthy. Bring Pochettino and ask him what to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Nathan Aki's the only City player out. Chelsea have loads out. Brohia, James, Kante, Mount, Kukurea, Chilwell, and then doubts over Koulibaly, Kovacic. And Bettinelli's also out. City are winning this game. Train with a medicine ball or what? <laughs> oh, they must do hammers. They, do you remember in the film oh, Dodgeball where your man takes out the bag of hammers? I think that's what they do. I'm going 3-0 to City in the easiest game they have all season. Yeah, I think that'll be one that will be switched off probably by about 20 minutes in because it'll just be done as a contest. Uh, but moving on to Monday, again, probably a huge game in two races in the... Um, Premier League left. Newcastle probably got well got over their toughest test last night against Brighton, whereas Leicester, odd they're playing so many Monday night games, but it's a free excuse I will give out. But Leicester, Dave, I mean, against Liverpool, for about 15 minutes, they looked, let's say, arsed. But as soon as the first goal went in, they just kind of gave up and it wasn't pretty. And that way they were just defeated so easily. Screams just already resigned to relegation to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm the same. I just don't see anything from them that suggests they even want to be in the division anymore. Um, going into the game, no Justin, no Soyuncu's a doubt, Ianacho's a doubt, Dewsbury Hall's a doubt, no Vestigard, no Bertrand, and no Danny Ward. But a I mean, I, I think they could have all of them and a whole lot more, and they still wouldn't have enough. Mm. Uh, for the two, no Kraft, no Lachelles, no Mitch, uh, no Richie, no Fraser, Longstaff, Murphy, Jolington, all doubts, and Joe Willock potentially now finished for the season. But I think Newcastle at home with the ability to clinch top four with a game to go 
in front of their own fans. Like Newcastle will have a party if they win in clinch top four. I'm going to back Newcastle to win in clinch top four. I think it'll be comfortable. We'll go with, do you know what? Fuck it. We'll go 6 0. We'll Ooh. go 6 0. And Leicester relegated on the day. Isaac, it feels like Isaac against Faze and whoever else is playing. Johnny seven. Evans, potentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like if, if you just play a 4 4 2 at Isaac and Wilson, they could literally just walk into the box and just be unmarked. Because then, I mean, that Faze, lad. Jesus. Hopeless. They're all hopeless. The whole team is hopeless. But if Leeds win, they're then four points clear of Leicester. And if Forrest get a draw, they're five points clear of Leicester, which means Leicester cannot stay up. Everton would be only two points clear because I have them losing to Wolves. They could stay up, but jumping them isn't enough for Leicester. I think Leicester are confirmed relegated this weekend. Yeah, and just for context, Everton have Bournemouth the last day, Leeds have Spurs, uh, and Leicester and, have West Ham at home. And Forest of Crystal Palace away. And if they win, it doesn't really matter either. And I think if Palace if Palace win this week, sorry, Forest win this weekend, then they're safe. If they win against Palace, they're safe. But I think they'll get two. I've got them for two draws as I'm looking at it right now. I think Leeds win this weekend. And I think they draw against Spurs. Spurs. I think Everton lose this weekend and win next weekend. And I think Everton go down on goal difference. Ooh. Which would just be the joyous of joyous, joy, joy, joy things. It'll be all the joy, all the joy. It would, it actually, it, you know what? It, it would nearly, not fully, but nearly make up for the calamity that our season has been. Mm. Right. We will leave it there. Then that is all we have for you this week. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your continued support. And we will see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.